0: following is a northern state podcasting production
1: you're listening to the Mind cruisers podcast
0: podcast where we bring mental health out of the darkness and in the light
1: follow the light
0: will take you away from your darkest night i know i swear because i've Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Mind Cruisers podcast. I am your host, Jared Johnson, and with me, as always, is Stephanie Dorman.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: Uh, welcome back. Today is a very special episode. Um, we did our first interview, me and Stephanie did, and uh, it was with Dr. Valerie Shaman Sutherland. Um, and she is absolutely amazing. Um, I love the conversation. I loved um her attitude and the way she presented everything. Um what it like yeah, it was just an amazing interview. I, I I I couldn't have thought I couldn't think of a better person to start off with. So um you know Stephanie and I are both kinda new to this interviewing thing. Um and so it's just it was refreshing, I'd say. That's um so yeah, uh we don't want to waste a bunch of time here. We will get kind of straight into the interview. Um, but Stephanie, do you want to introduce Valerie and kind of let our audience know who she is and what she's gonna. What we talked to her about.
1: Yeah, so Valerie was definitely my first choice of people to interview for this podcast. I thought of her when we started this podcast. Uh, she, I've worked with her before. She's become a close friend of mine. Um, she's one of the most humble and knowledgeable people that I know. I definitely go to her for a lot of advice and um, friendship as well. I um, value her as a person and everything that she's experienced and learned in her life. But for the official bio. Um, The person we are interviewing is Dr. Valerie Shaman Sutherland and she has been privileged to carry out a career in diverse fields but with the common threads of crisis management and serving those struggling with the effects of trauma. Dr. Shaman Sutherland has developed threat assessment teams for educational institutions and participated in efforts for mass shooting recovery, worked in crisis management in colleges and universities. She has served as a suicide interventionist and responder to survivors of sexual assault, and she has designed and launched a family-centered treatment program for CPS-involved families struggling with addiction. Currently, Dr. Shaman Sutherland is the program manager for the Spokane Regional Mental Health Court, which aims to break the cycle of untreated mental illness and criminal behavior. Dr. Shaman Sutherland holds a bachelor's degree in electronic media, a master's degree in higher education administration, and also a PhD in leadership studies. So she's got a lot of great credentials, got a great experience, and we figured she'd just be perfect to interview for this podcast.
0: And uh, Well, mostly we—I mean, we—we we focused on um, vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue. Sorry. Um, yeah. So that's what we focused on. Um, we actually probably—I wouldn't be shocked if we had her back for another interview sometime in the future. Um, but yeah, let us know what you guys think. And with that, we'll jump right in. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll talk to you afterwards. All right. Let's just start by asking how you guys know each other and like how did you guys get connected and um yeah where does that all come from i guess i'll let you
2: answer that stephanie since i'll probably be doing a lot of talking let's hear your beautiful voice for a second
1: (laughs) all right so i met valerie for my first practicum i had during my msw program and um it was at rising strong and i just immediately thought she was so cool. I thought, like, I want to be just like her. (laughs) Like, I want to do the things she's done in the community and do and experience the changes that she has made in Spokane. It's just, um, she's definitely one of my mentors and one of my closest friends now. And, um, yeah, so I got to know her, and we clicked right away. We're both really just passionate, happy people, and um, I think we get along really well.
2: Thanks, awesome. Stephanie. It is an honor to know you and to get to know Jared, really, to see um, people who are investing in this work and wanting and hungry for change is really inspirational for me. It keeps me going. So thank you.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so today's episode is all about uh, vicarious trauma. And how is that? How are you? I guess, can you explain your background when it comes to that?
2: Absolutely. Um, It's so funny that you asked because my staff and I were on a Zoom call today and I was telling them I was doing this and they asked me how I got started and all of it. So it kind of gave me a little warm up. Um, (laughs) So for um, one of my graduate degrees, I went to Virginia Tech and I went for a degree in higher education administration, but I happened to go in right after the shootings of 2007 there. In my first semester, I took a class from, I didn't know it at the time, uh, the provost in charge of recovery efforts. And she took me under her wing and asked me to get involved. So I started working on recovery efforts. Um, started working with families who had lost loved ones, uh, students or students who had survived. I was able to train with the FBI and the Secret Service. And the whole experience just changed my life. And ever since then, I've been really privileged to have jobs in diverse fields, every time I take a new job, my parents are like, huh, we never thought you'd do that. <laughs> um, but the common thread in everything is crisis management, trauma, and walking alongside those who are suffering. Uh, I feel like there's a million reasons why I shouldn't do this work, and I can't do anything else. Um, it is part a part of me. Uh, so I have run suicide hotlines and worked in rape response centers, I've done crisis management for uh, colleges and universities. I have done, um, well, with Stephanie, the work that we did, I was the director of Rising Strong, so designed and launched a nonprofit uh, that was a family-centered treatment program for CPS families struggling with addiction. I uh, do mass shooting recovery for schools and consultation, and currently I am the program manager of the Spokane Regional Mental Health Court. And I love what I do. I try to keep it brief because it's literally my favorite thing to talk about are these kinds of subjects, uh, but the aim of our program is to break the cycle of criminal behavior and untreated mental illness. And so we stop the cycle of individuals going to jail, getting out, going to jail, getting out uh, over and over. And we get to help them get treatment, housing, education, financial benefits, just really wrap around services to change the trajectory of their lives. Um, so I've been really lucky to uh, work in all these different fields, but always with that common thread of trauma.
0: That's
2: amazing. I mean,
0: yeah, come just like me looking in on that is like just crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. My awesome. head big. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's it's just really cool. Like that's Thank uh, you. a lot of different I, things, but like a lot of, I mean, a lot of helping, a lot of like uh, giving and serving. So that's awesome.
2: Thank you. Yeah, you know, as a little girl, you don't grow up going, you know what I'm going to (laughs) do? I'm going to work in trauma and crisis, um, but when it chooses you, you know, you have no other choice.
1: For sure. Absolutely, and you've made such a difference around Spokane, so we appreciate you. you.
2: Thank you. I love it here. I thought it was coming for a couple years, and I am here for good.
1: I love it here. (laughs) That's what Spokane does to you. (laughs)
0: Yeah so uh I guess the other question, the main the question i guess for um would be like, can you explain vicarious trauma and like what it actually means a little more for people that don't aren't familiar i guess
2: absolutely, so vicarious trauma has several names. Some people refer to it as compassion fatigue. Some people refer to it as secondary stress, secondary trauma. Uh, But basically the idea behind it is that it's the cumulative toll of bearing witness to other people's suffering. And that cumulative toll and exposure constantly to trauma starts to make an impact on other people um, and those who are being exposed to the work. Turning off my notifications for my staff who are asking me questions. um it's podcast time Uh, and so those uh symptoms manifest in many different ways uh, depending on the individual but the one thing is no one can escape it that it does have an effect on you no one is immune to witnessing suffering
1: yeah all right so our next question valerie is what type of professions are more susceptible to experiencing vicarious trauma are there any kind of um certain careers that might experience it more
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Um, and I think the surprising part of this is how many professions are affected by it, and not only professions, but other roles that we would play in our lives. So we see it a lot with caregivers, people who are caring for an ill family member, um, or people who have a family member struggling with addiction in their lives. That can really take a toll and really expose to some trauma Um, But there are a lot of fields that people don't think of. Um, Really, with the environmental sciences, conservationists, uh, they are bearing witness to suffering, and you don't think about that as much as you might a mental health counselor. Um, In my dissertation work for my Ph.D., I interviewed people who work in higher education, law enforcement, emergency management. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving out military. Um, And so the common thread in all of them is they all said, oh, I don't struggle with vicarious trauma. I, I'm fine. I'm totally, this is my job. I'm a professional. And then in every interview, which were hours and hours long, they spent hours telling me all the ways they were affected <laughs> and the ways of vicarious trauma manifested in themselves. And so, um, you know, education is a really big one. I come from a family of educators, and I see it in them uh, every day. And uh, it's hard to find a field where you're not affected. <laughs>
0: Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I actually watched a a TED talk about, and it was mostly about caregivers and how they not necessarily like, I mean like personal, like to your parents or to somebody in your life more so than, um, than like, I mean, I feel like it's obvious that like, you know, mental health counselors and people that are like dealing with those sort of things would have that, like, you know, be more susceptible to that, but you just don't think about all the different ways that I can, you know, That can manifest,
2: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and um, there's an author, last name is Figley, and he refers to vicarious trauma as the cost of caring, and I love that because it really shows that it infiltrates amongst all fields, amongst all areas of your life. It's really not just about a certain profession, but yet who you are as a person, the cost of caring for other people um, is really where things come into play.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I'm. I was gonna ask this question later on, but I think it really is a great time to ask it now. But I heard about I've heard about compassion reward, and I was wondering if you could expand on that because I know with all this compassion fatigue and and the trauma, there's got to be another side to all of it. So I wanted to know if you could expand on that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a ton of research lately emerging on compassion fatigue vicarious trauma very little I can find on compassion satisfaction Um, which makes me crazy because I think one of the ways to combat vicarious trauma is gratitude (laughs) and what better way um you know compassion satisfaction are really looking at what are the benefits of caring for others and, and bearing witness to the suffering of others so it might be um a nurse who works in a NICU and is seeing really difficult situations but yet she has a victory in this um, baby who maybe um, was struggling at birth they didn't know if they'd make it goes home all as all well and is going to live a healthy healthy life well then her investment or his that nurse's investment in that baby's life in that work the satisfaction is reaped when that baby goes home Um, I see it all the time in my work when people come into our program. A lot of times they come in, they don't want anything to do with our staff. (laughs) They do not want to sit around and talk about their lives, you know, and start all these different treatment programs. But when they graduate and they get to talk to the court about their experiences and how they've changed and how they're a different person when they came in, that for me is my compassion satisfaction. Um, It keeps me going and it reminds me of this is why it's not worth it.
1: Absolutely. I think that longitudinal reward where you can just see them change over years and years Mm -hmm. is so incredible. That definitely, when I was at the hospital for practicum, I um, only had short kind of interactions with patients and I really missed seeing them grow and change and go from, as you said, hating what they're doing to it completely changing their lives. That is so rewarding.
2: You know, and I'm really glad you brought that up because a lot of professions who are bearing witness to suffering don't get that. You know, you think of a law enforcement officer who's there in the heat of the moment. Um, my work in crisis management, I'd be there, in as the situation was going, coming up with a plan to keep them safe, Then they get transferred to a counselor or a hospital Um and that's where I thrive but it is hard when you don't know how a situation turns out and you don't get that uh oh this is why I do this work you don't get that reminder that's got to be hard
1: yeah absolutely
0: so uh, I kind of want to step back just for a second and kinda, like can you tell us like the history on on vicarious trauma like can you it's probably I don't know even a question on our on our sheet I know that so if you can't if you don't have the <laughs> answer that's okay I just was thinking like like when did, like how long has it been researched and like how long has it been like has has it been like is it a like an old like it, has it been around a long time or i mean it's been around i guess is it you know like yes. what is what is the um i guess the scope of the research that's happened like is it has it only been the last ten years that they actually been researching it
2: good question, and it's been a few years since I've written my dissertation on this, but I do try to keep an eye on the Uh, research that's coming out on the topic. I really um, stuck my own research from 1980s forward, so um, I didn't go back too far, but now it makes me want to go look and find out because I'm a big nerd like that. Um, So I'm interested in knowing. For me, um, I was turned on to this work by Laura Vandernut Lipsky, and she uh, wrote a book, Trauma Stewardship. She also has a foundation, a consulting business, Um, And she is internationally known, but she's from Washington State. So how lucky are we? Um, And I went to see her, and she is, I think, doing the most prolific uh, work in this field. And she's doing all the research, but portraying it in a way that everyone can relate to it. So I went on a whim by myself to a conference. Um, right after I moved to Spokane um, to see her. I never take notes. It's just not my style. I came home with a notebook. <laughs> cool. um, and I drove the whole way home from Tacoma in silence. Also, not like me at all. I like to talk. <laughs> um, and I started diving in then. And I went to my dissertation chair, and I pitched this idea to her, and I said, I have discovered vicarious trauma. I didn't know this was a thing. I've been working in this field, for years no one has ever brought this up in any of my training any of my graduate schooling i work with suicide interventionists and sexual assault responders and law enforcement officers and everyone i've asked i said how do you cope with this and everyone just makes a joke laughs i drink a lot whatever and i want to find this answer and she looks at me and she says all right i see where you're going you ready to figure your own stuff out <laughs> yeah. and i was like All right. All right. I hear you. (laughs) I'm going to have to do some work. So out of that, I have poured into a lot of the research, but kept it more present day, um, just because that's what has felt right for me. Uh, But it is it's emerging more and more. People are talking about it more. Even law enforcement officers are having it as a part of their training, which is relatively new. Um, One of my dissertation participants that I interviewed, her father was a police officer, um, and she actually um, lived in Colorado at the time of Columbine, but her father was a police officer in the 1980s, and he had a pretty traumatic thing happen to him where he lost his um, police partner in the field and had to stay with the body, and no vicarious trauma, no counseling, um, happen for the police officer that experienced that, and so I think we are coming a lot, a lot farther along here in present day.
0: That's awesome, yeah, because that seems like you, I mean, that's why, that's part of the reason I asked that question, is because, like, I think of, like, whether people actually get this kind of training, or, like, if that's something, um, super new, and kind of, like, just starting out, like, let's get future, you know, but, like, 'Cause like there's so much of that, right? There's so much trauma that like, like that metal response people and different things like see and, and on a daily basis and it's just like trying to uh see if that like if there's training for that, I guess. Or if there's like right. a response to that.
2: Right. And yeah, you have to, to, to be
0: receptive.
2: Prepared. Oh sorry, go ahead, Stephanie.
1: Oh no, I was just gonna say like to be prepared. Like if you're prepared to kinda That seems very important, which is now being taken more seriously, it seems like, nowadays.
2: Right, and uh, you have to be open to it. And I don't think until the moment where I started to research this on my own, I don't think I was open to it. I don't think I would have heard it from anybody else Um, in an arrogant way. It's like, I'm doing the Lord's work, so you can join me, or you can get out of my way, but I'm not going to sit around and talk about my feelings. I have too much to do. I have too many lives to save. I have to make change. And so I had to be the one to dig into it. Um, and I wasn't ready before that.
1: I'm glad you did. I think you can be a way better provider when you kind of can do the things you're teaching your clients and patients to do. So thank you.
2: I appreciate that.
0: So, uh, what are, what would you say? Like some of the, like, I guess, risk factors or symptoms or like, um, how would somebody recognize that they're having like, um, like these kind of things, like vicarious trauma,
2: like that it's affecting them? Or... Sure. It's tricky because it's so gradual. It's such a cumulative process. So very few people that I've talked to or read about, or even in my own life have that one moment and um, that watershed moment where they're like, Oh, I'm affected. Uh, it just slowly, slowly builds. And, and it manifests in such different ways for different people that it's hard to recognize. Laura Vandernit-Lipsky, the author was talking about, tells a story about um, how, and I relate to this so much, I'm sure both of you will as well. She is on a hike, I believe in, I don't remember where, but um, maybe Hawaii, a rainforest somewhere. That wasn't Hawaii, but um, she's on a hike with her family and her whole family is looking around. They get to the very top and this is breathtaking. Can you believe we get to experience this? And she says, where do you think the nearest level one trauma center is? Do you think if someone falls off the cliff, they would immediately die? She's starting to plan for crisis. And her uh, stepfather-in-law looks at her and says, do you think all this trauma work might have gotten to you? <laughs> and <laughs> and she says for 10 years part of that, people were trying to point it out to her and show her. And she couldn't see it until that moment where she actually paused um, and was like, OK, all these things people have been saying, all these little moments are starting to add up Um, and I relate to that so much because it just creeps in and again so many of us think we're invincible we're professionals this is just our job Uh, it can turn in a lot of ways for some people it's anger Um, some people it's isolation numbing is a really big one um, that I see so people find ways to numb um, where they can just check out their feelings the issue is the as you both know, once we numb out the dark, we also numb out the light and the joy, which uh, can create some challenges. Uh, one that I really, um, I I relate to closely is some people will fill their calendars to every minute, do all the projects, do all the things, uh, and that's how they protect themselves from feeling, from experiencing, from realizing what they're going through. Um, And in the Trauma Stewardship book, there's a, a story about how this couple are both in fields where they're exposed to trauma all the time and every Saturday morning they get up and they're rushing around their yard and they're planting things and they're pulling things out and they're painting and their neighbor one day is just sitting across the street drinking a cup of coffee watching them and he yells out stop doing all the things (laughs) and she says what would that look like I don't know how to stop doing all the things Um, and I really relate to that because you don't you know, you see that, and you're like, wow, that person's a go-getter. They're a high-functioning, look at all, you know, they get a lot of rewards for that. Uh, but it can actually be that you're masking or numbing uh, what's really going on. Uh, a sense of injustice is big when people feel like everyone's um, out to get them, or, uh, you know, they're always having to fight a battle. That's a big one. Um, Of course, your mental health issues, depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, In my research, invasive thoughts, which is a symptom of PTSD, as you both know, was big for my participants, especially my uh, participants who served in the military or as law enforcement officers. Um, One of them talked about how um, he was in an incident where he he gave CPR for hours and the wife was screaming, save my husband, save my husband. It was very traumatic. A child died as well. Um, and he could compartmentalize that memory and move on, but he had razor burn on his lips from giving CPR for so long, and every time he felt that razor burn, it took him straight back to everything. And so he could compartmentalize mentally, but he kept having these flashbacks every time he felt his lips. Mm-hmm. So um, there's many, many different symptoms. I only named a few, um, but that's why it's so sneaky.
1: <laughs> yeah, Definitely. So what can somebody do to help avoid experiencing these symptoms or experiencing the trauma or how can they get right on it if they notice these symptoms?
2: You know, that varies from person to person. Um, but there's a lot of different things for me. Um, I find it to be helpful in my own life, but also many of the people that I work with in metabolizing the stress out of the body. And so, you know, your, your nervous system is holding on to those toxins and getting them out. So, um, not right now because I'm pregnant, um, so my working out has slowed down somewhat, but every day at noon, my whole staff knows I'm at the gym across the street, you know, um, and I am not somebody who loves to work out. Every day about 11:30, I'm like, oh, I have to go to the gym, um, but I know that it's what I need, and I feel better as soon as I leave, and it's for me, I, I remind myself, this isn't just about like fitting into a bikini. Well, I would never wear a bikini. So <laughs> uh, this is not about, you know, looking good in my summer shorts, but this is about I have to be the best professional I can be and make sure that the work I'm doing doesn't spill out into my personal life. And that's what gets me there. Uh, developing a supportive microculture is really huge for people. So having those that feed your soul and don't drain you. Um, that you can talk with about these issues is really helpful. Um, of course, I recommend counseling doing the work that I do. Um, you know, gratitude is really big for me. Um, that's how I get through my days. And my, probably the book that's had the biggest impact on my whole life um, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And there's a, he talks a lot about tragic optimism and finding the value in suffering. Um, And so that helps me a lot. And I could talk for days about it. I won't bore y'all. But even as, and I'm half Jewish, so it has a really big impact on me, but even as part of a concentration camp as a prisoner. They, he and some of his fellow inmates were able to find joy. So it might be they were assigned to a foreman who didn't deliver blows as often as another foreman. Or he tells a story about they were on the way to one concentration camp, and when they arrived, they realized it was one that wasn't as bad as the other, right? <laughs> and they cheered and danced for joy. They were still at a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to find um, some optimism there even in the midst of what i would perceive to be the darkest tragedy anyone could experience so i really look for that in my daily life and i encourage others to do and it can be something so small y'all know this i'm preaching to the choir Um, but i really feel like that helps Um, i have been really lucky in that Um, I haven't experienced the trauma that my clients that I currently see do. This is the most complex population I've ever worked with. The trauma they've experienced is at a level, uh, at the highest level I've ever been involved with. And um, I have high school groups come in and ask me, how do you deal with this? How do you deal seeing this all the time? And I just remind them, I know that the only difference between them and me Family I was born into, basically. Um, My life hasn't been perfect, okay, but um, I'm able to do that, and I see the gratitude in that, and because I'm half-Jewish, have a lot of guilt about it, (laughs) it's in my genes, Um, and so I try to really take every opportunity and going, I am so lucky to be in the place I am in my life, and I have a duty and a responsibility to use my privilege to serve these others and help give them a leg up um, in that. This is my life's responsibility. Um, and that's my way of paying forward the life that I've been gifted.
1: Wow. That's yeah, very that's,
0: powerful. Seriously, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I think I'm Derek sorry to talk you. so much. I can't help <laughs> No, no, it's, I mean, yeah, it's good. Um, yeah,
1: wonderful.
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, kind of a thought along those lines is it, is it, compassion fatigue or, or vicarious trauma to like, when you, um, like we have a friend that's like a EMT and like, he is, I feel like he's very desensitized to like, to trauma or like, like he'll tell us about like crazy things that happen. And it's like, like he doesn't have, there's no, I feel like there's no feel or not. Maybe there's, there's gotta be feeling, but he doesn't like, it's mm-hmm. not like, it's like, it feels a little numb, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is is that the same thing or is that like, or is that like a symptom or a sign or is that like just, I mean, desensitize, desens, you know, it's just desensitized to it? I would
2: say it's absolutely a sign. And in the trauma stewardship book, one of her chapters opens up um, and it's a police, of- a quote from a police officer. And he says, I turn it off and turn it on, except I can't turn it on anymore. Um, And so... I think we do that, and I think you see that with anger, too. Um, That's how people block it out, Um, and they feel like they have to get desensitized. And there's a lot of professional cultures. Traditionally, law enforcement has been big in this, and probably the EMT field as well, just not as familiar when you don't show vulnerability. Uh, You're the tough guy. That's the culture here. If you're going to succeed, you're going to buck up because this is the job. And that is where danger happens, I believe. And I also believe I was one of those people for many years. (laughs) And I still catch myself, you know, going, oh, you got this. This doesn't affect you like it affects other people. You storm on. This is what you do. You forge ahead. Um, But none of us are immune. None of us are superheroes, um, even though we we like to think we are. And I'm the biggest culprit of that. I will name it.
1: <laughs> I think I see what you mean, too, about turning it off and not being able to turn it on again. It's just if you are so low all the time or numbing yourself, how are you supposed to bring that joy and that happiness back? I, can, I think I understand what he was saying by that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's somebody that um, I've interviewed who talks about how they loved music and singing. And when they realized they hadn't listened to music in a really long time, that was a big sign for them. Mm-hmm. Or you'll see um, people who, professionals I've worked with who work um, in fields where they're always fighting for peace, they work in mediation, they work in activism, and yet they're the first one to have road rage when they're driving and flipping people off and screaming at them, right? And there's this big contradiction. Mm-hmm. That's a
1: symptom. Yep, yep, definitely.
0: So I guess another question, kind of, you kind of touched on it earlier, I feel like, or uh, it's just But is there a difference between compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma, or is that the same thing? And they just have several different names?
2: I think that's how I perceive it. I think people use them synonymously. Um, The one that's very different that sometimes people think are the same are burnout and compassion fatigue. And I think those are very different. I think burnout can be repaired with rest. Um, I think it is an exhaustion, whereas compassion fatigue you feel in your bones.
0: Gotcha. That's, that That
1: does make sense. So we hear a lot about trauma-informed care nowadays, um, and a lot of companies and organizations are trying to work on being trauma-informed, and I wonder what vicarious trauma has to do in regards to trauma-informed care. Are they interrelated at all, or?
2: I love that you asked that question. I. I've been working a lot with my own team at Mental Health Court to become more trauma-informed for our participants um, in our language, in the setup of our offices, and how we carry out court hearings. Our judges um, very invested in that work as well and i have never seen a relation between trauma-informed care and vicarious trauma and research and conversations and now i'm like all right how are we going to do this um, i do think though that having trauma-informed care and the way that it mitigates trauma for our clients for the people in our lives, can also help protect us from the uh, effects of the suffering that we're experiencing. So I think that there is tremendous value in connecting the two and really looking at that. I just don't think it's been done before. So I think the three of us should do a dissertation on it, basically.
1: (laughs) Do it. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, I'm down for that
1: for sure. Perfect. Okay. How would someone experiencing vicarious trauma seek treatment and what would be some of those common treatments?
2: Sure, so the tricky part about vicarious trauma is because it manifests in such different ways uh, for every individual, it's hard to prescribe a common treatment uh, and the thing I caution people about is being really uh, really intentional about how they manage the symptoms that they're experiencing. So we always hear about people. Oh, go get a pedicure, go get a massage. That'll fix everything. Is it really managing the symptoms you're experiencing? If you're numbing and you go into a massage where you know you get to numb your mind, um, is that really fixing the problem? Now, I love a massage, so um, <laughs> and a pedicure, so that does work for some people. But really thinking about it um, is helpful. You know, common ones are. Creating a supportive microculture with people who get you, who you can go to um, without judgment. Those people that you can be around and talk to, and when you leave, you aren't going through, oh, do you think they understood what I was trying to say? Do, oh, do you think they took this comment the wrong way? You know, the, the opposite of that, where you know you're in a safe place with somebody, is really helpful. Uh, those really basic lifestyle habits that are so fundamental, and you think this is too easy, this won't help me manage something as big and significant as vicarious trauma, but it does. So eating healthy, getting enough sleep, um, exercise. Uh, Laura Nolitsky talks a lot about metabolizing the toxins in the central nervous system that are caused by vicarious trauma. And that's something that I've really taken to heart I work out every day on my lunch break. My staff knows that I'm going to be gone for an hour across the street at the gym lifting weights, Uh, And that is, I don't enjoy working out at all. (laughs) Every day at about 1130, I go, oh, I have to do this. Um, But I know that it's the right thing for me, and I come out healthier uh, for it. And so that's really important. Um, When Stephanie and I worked together before, she knows I got zero sleep, um, and it had a really detrimental impact on me, um, the job required that I not sleep, that I be there really around the clock to handle things, um, but I, I saw the how something so simple uh, could really affect me in significant ways and affect the people that I was serving, and so when I was job searching, I really looked for a place where I could engage in meaningful work and still be able to uh, continue some of the healthy lifestyle habits I had cultivated in the past and that was uh, instrumental in my well-being. Um, there's a you know there's a lot music is really important for some people um, and being able to play or sing or even just listen to music and appreciate it. Um, art can be helpful Um, I have a colleague who journaling is really helpful for and she uh, goes back and looks to see where patterns are developing in her life I wish I could be a journaler. I'm terrible at it. I don't have the patience for it. Um, and so for that me, that doesn't work, but I've seen it have tremendous impact on her. So there's a million different ways. Those are just a few of the most common, but cautioning to really think about how is this activity going to help me manage what I'm experiencing in my daily life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like with the self-care, as you were mentioning, that it's not just about the pedicures, manicures, getting your hair done. It is about getting sleep, the right amount of sleep, uh, sleep hygiene, going to bed at the same time every day, waking up at the same time every day and knowing when to say no instead of being a yes person. I know I struggle with that. I say yes, 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 yes. And then I'm exhausted. That's definitely not what should happen. Um, And I really relate to having to you when you say having friends that you feel full, like your cup is full after talking to them rather than you feel drained and you feel anxious after speaking to them. You really need to surround yourself with people who help you grow and who challenge you, but not in a negative um, way that might hurt your self-esteem. I think that's super important, definitely.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you said that. It's hard to find um, people who, when you walk away from the conversation, at least for me, that I'm not analyzing everything I just said. (laughs) And yes, a lot of that is on me. I will take that. But um, I know that finding those people um, who I feel safe with is important for me in managing what I'm experiencing through my professional life.
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, I I definitely agree with all that. I mean, self-care in general is always important, but in this particular instance I'd say like it's probably even more I mean yeah you know, because the, the idea that you're helping other people always like just I mean and the stress that you're being put under kind of or the you know the feeling that you always have to um, be that you always have to be compassionate or you always have to be understanding you always have to be like you know all that so um one question I was going to ask is just um, what is one fact about compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma that would surprise people?
2: Right. So I don't know if I've mentioned this already, but uh, for me, the biggest surprise was that no one's immune, right? And um Brene Brown talks a lot about the idea that you're in exclusively in one camp or another. you're either a Viking or a victim, and how a lot of people are experiencing I think a lot of people experiencing vicarious trauma view life in that realm where they're seeing themselves as the viking. I know I did. So I'm the professional. I'm the one that fixes the problems. I don't have the problems. Well, I'm stronger than the other uh, professionals that work in my office. I can handle this a lot more than them. Uh, this is not going to affect me, but I hope the other people who I work with or, you know, or I've seen experiences, I hope they get some help. Um, and it's really critical that none of us are immune. <laughs> it's critical to understand that. No one's a superhero, and we all like to think we are. I I did. Um, and so no one could have told me, uh, sat me down and said, you're experiencing vicarious trauma. This is how we see it, and this is what you should do about it. I would not have listened to that for one single minute, and I don't know many people who would. Um, and like we've talked about, you know, I don't know if it's the people that are attracted to these types of fields whereas being in the field cultivates these types of personalities. But you have to get there on your own. And I think it's it's important that we're educating and we're talking about it now, which hasn't happened historically. And so people can be aware. I did not, I had never been trained in vicarious trauma. I had never heard about it until I was probably, I don't know the numbers, maybe six to eight years in my career, never even heard of it. And so... You have to get to that place where you're able to come to terms with the changes that have accumulated over time in your own life, and be ready to do something about that. And until you get there on your own, it's it's hard. It's really, really hard, um, and it's hard to open your eyes to it. And I,
1: Yeah, I know they teach us in school, when you're going to be a social worker or therapist, that you really have to figure your own stuff out. I know that they used to, or some programs even still require that you go to therapy, even if you believe you're not experiencing any of these symptoms, you're required to go and talk about it. And usually, I'm sure something comes up. And I think it's important that that's, a requirement, even in where you work, or if you just take that very seriously, if you're working in this type of field where you're helping others, because you can get burned out so quickly, and sometimes people don't know it until they've hit rock bottom and are totally fried. So I think it's definitely I, a serious issue.
2: I totally agree. Or they're trying to fix themselves, and they're putting that on the clients or whoever they're working with. Um, and I know that's not a new concept to either of you. And I've always been on kind of an administration track in my education and in my work experience. So I never had those classes where they taught you these basic um, fundamentals. And so it was a real wake-up call for me. And yeah, so, so hard to speak out loud that I
1: struggle with this too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's hard to admit for sure. So, yeah. uh, I-, I
0: think we're, we're just about done here, but... Um I want to say first off you're awesome and thank you very much for being here and like coming on with us. Um I think we only have one more question and it's kind of more just based on um we just wanted to know like if somebody wanted more information um how would how would they like what's a good resource and is there anything else you would like to add that you'd like our audience to hear.
2: Sure, thank you. Um first of all, thank you for letting me do this. It's um, such an exciting opportunity for me to be able to talk about this with people who uh, really want to dive in and are hungry for the subject, Uh, and I really appreciate what you're doing for our community. I know that you're going to be podcasting for a long time, and I'm going to be able to say I was there at the beginning listening to both of you, so uh, I'm really excited what you're doing, and I know it's taking more time when you're already busy. Um, and have a lot going on, and it's hard to talk about these things. So thank you for being brave enough to have these discussions.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you, Valerie, for the acknowledgement and the recognition. I know that Jared and I both really care about mental health, mental health awareness, and bringing the discussion to the table. I think it's important for us to talk about these things that we are experiencing internally, on the outside, what's happening in our world. It's just so important for us to relate whether or not we're able to express those feelings and acknowledge those feelings we're having. I think, um, It's so incredible that we're able to do this together. I know we're both really passionate about it. Um, As far as being a social worker now, I know that grad school has completely changed me as a person. I have learned so many different things in school that have changed me inside and out. They've changed my perspective and definitely humbled me. I have learned so much about myself, my family, my relationships, and I am definitely grateful for all of that. And I know not everybody gets to go back to school or has the opportunity to get back to school, and I feel very grateful that I have. And I want the whole, all of the communities, everyone, to learn just a little bit about mental health and how important it is. It's as we've talked about before, so important. Um, it's interrelated with physical health, spiritual health, and just being overall overall happy.
0: Yeah, so just to piggyback on what Stephanie was saying, uh, I definitely think this work is important, and we um, are kind of all in this together. Um, I, I think that mental health is getting better. Um, More has gotten better, the awareness, but um, it still has a long ways to go. Um, So I'm just happy to be a small part of that. Um, The other part I was going to ask, the other part of that question was, um, where would somebody go for research? So um, if somebody needed more information, or why more information?
2: To start with research, I always point people to Laura Vandernutlitsky. I know I've talked about her so much through this, but the way she takes the material and makes it relatable to everyone, uh, is just so, um, it makes it safe to dive into the subject. And so she has a book, Trauma Stewardship. She has a TED Talk you can easily find on YouTube. It's a TEDx Talk. Uh, that she did for, I believe, Washington State Corrections. She's a really good place to start. Um, and then I'm always happy to send people lots of research. Um, Figley, who talks about the cost of caring, was one of the first people to really talk about the research. And so that's a good place to start too for a more of a historical look. Um, and I'm always happy to walk people through that um, as they're starting to dive in. And you had one other question.
0: I was just Anything you'd like to add if there's, uh, as far as um, just the audience to know about it or, you know, that we haven't already talked about?
2: Sure. Uh, The last thing I would say is, you know, I talk a lot about, especially with my own staff, about taking care of themselves, having strong boundaries, all of those basic fundamentals that you um, have probably already learned and that many people learn through school. And at the same time, I tell them, I know these things are important for me in managing the symptoms of the trauma that I'm exposed to day after day in my career, and at the same time, the day that it stops affecting me is the day I have to go. I know that I you know, I am an empath, <laughs> 100%. I feel everything, and while that can be really hard and really draining, I think it makes me good at what I do. Uh, because the people that I work with, they know if I'm just going through the motions. They can feel it if I truly care about them and truly want to invest myself in helping them or if I'm just doing this to collect a paycheck. Uh, I have a quote one of my students made me a few years ago from Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec, who, you know, is an idol of all of ours, I think. Um, and it says, I care. I care a lot. It's kind of my thing. And I have that in my office, and it just reminds me, like, None of this is about me. You know, I, it's all about me pouring myself into these uh, individuals who have entrusted me to walk alongside them through whatever trauma they're experiencing or healing from, and that's where my mind needs to be. And So I need to be really intentional and careful about how I protect myself and protect them through that process and stay professional, and at the same time, I have to be caring. I have to be feeling the effects of it or I'm not going to be good for them. So I think that's an important balance for people to remember.
1: That's wonderful. That's very powerful. I appreciate you saying that.
2: Thank you. I'm sure a lot of people were like, why did you just talk this whole time about taking care of myself? And now you're saying you have to feel. (laughs) But that's how it is, right? Our worlds are made up of gray. And when we do this work, there's no black and white.
1: Yep. You have to do it all. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Valerie. It was so wonderful talking to you. I know everybody's going to love to hear your words. So thank you.
2: Thank you. I'm so grateful to both of you. Thank you. Keep uh, keep talking. Keep making change in our community. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Talk to you later. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> thank you. Don't tell me that'll be on every week. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that was uh, our interview with Dr. Valerie Shaman Sutherland. Um, she was amazing, as I said prior to this. Um, yeah, and so like to get in contact with her, we'll put links in the bio in our link links in the um, podcast show notes. notes. Yep, For, uh, to get a hold of her and get um, you know get more information, um, everything that she kind of mentioned throughout the interview, um, and. I want to say that uh, we will um have her back someday, but we'll see how that goes. Um, so moving on, the other things we wanted to talk about in this show is um, we we've been struggling to get music and get um, I mean, when I say that, I no shot at key, but we could get music from him pretty much constantly. Um, but we kind of, we want to make sure we mix it up in here. So
1: yes, um, we love Keith and he's always willing to give us music, but we do want to mix it up.
0: Yeah. So, so, I mean, I definitely think we'll, we'll showcase him often, but, but since we're having trouble getting permission to play music, um, I decided to kind of switch it up a little bit and we created a podcast, um, a mind cruisers podcast playlist on Spotify, um, that you can search for and it's called the mind cruisers podcast. Um, and it is, we will be adding music to that, um, whenever we feel like it. And honestly, you guys can actually add music to it too. It's collaborative. So, um, if you want to, you can, um, but yeah, we'll just add music that we really like and probably talk about what we've added for that month, I guess each show. Um, and maybe if there's something that stuck out to us, I guess, um, so yeah, that's kind of our plan for now. Um and as if we can get permission, we will play music. We just um we've been struggling to get that um get that permission and you know, we don't want to we want to follow the rules here, so we, Yeah, uh,
1: and I think sharing a playlist is actually pretty cool because then you can share your the jams that you like and it doesn't you don't have to be know, constricted by licenses and all of that, you can just share what you like to listen to, and I think that's really important too. Because music is definitely something I'm super passionate about and like to share with people, and it kind of is like a window into my soul. And I think this is going to be great.
0: Yeah, and I also am going to put um, that on our website. Um, and I also wanted to mention that that we had some people like struggling to find our podcast on different platforms, and I've been working hard to get it on everything. And some seem to be having some issues, and I'm not really sure how to fix that. Um, So I will say, you can always listen to our podcast and our latest episode on mindcruise.com. There's a player in there. You can go, and all the episodes are right there. Um, And I will put that Spotify also on that. Um, It'll be a player in there that you can listen to any songs you want through that. Um, So that will be Awesome um but yeah so i think that's our going to be our plan going forward i've added a couple songs i think stephanie is going to add some songs and uh i wasn't going to go too crazy at first but we'll kind of add as we go and like i said if you feel like there's something that you want to add go ahead and add and i know we're not genre specific it's you know just whatever you know makes you feel i guess or uh you know gives you some um i don't know Whatever you like, basically is what we kind of are going with. Share that. anything, yes.
1: Yep.
0: yep, and and I'll definitely be listening to whatever anybody shares. So um, that will be really cool. Um,
1: Me too. I'm excited to hear.
0: Yeah. So the last thing I'd say is, just if you want to get in contact with us, um, you can do so in many many ways. <laughs> There's a we have our email is the Podcast at gmail. Um, we also have. Instagram, which is the Mind Cruisers podcast, and then an underscore. That's, that's our name. And then Stephanie has our separate um, which is uh, every time I think about it I forget it, but I think it's Mind Cruiser Steph.
1: Um Yeah, Steph at
0: Mind Cruisers, I think, right? It's one it's one of the two. It's it's mm-hmm. well We'll put a link in it in the in yes, the, it'll uh, be
1: in the bio. <laughs> yeah,
0: and then also, we, and you would always find all this on mindcruisers.com, too. We we have it all linked on there. Um, but yeah, so the, the, there's you know, get in contact with with us if you if you just want to talk or if you need help or if you want to be on the show or if you know you you just you know anything you want to add. It seems like we've been getting the most contacts um, from people wanting to add to our resource page. Um, I've gotten probably four emails now um, from different places around the country looking to add um, to be added to our resource page, which I've done. So, yeah, go ahead and contact us for that. That's totally fine, too. Um, and uh, I think that's about all we got for today. Yeah, uh, we appreciate you all.
1: think keep hanging in there through all of this. We're still in it together, but making it through day by day, we're thinking about all of you.
0: Yeah, certainly. and also, you know, we want to send a big, huge shout out to like all first responders, all people working, all grocery workers, everything, all those people that are keeping society um, going. Teachers, and, yeah. Teachers, everybody, yeah. Um, yeah. And everybody that's had to make adjustments and, you know, it's just, it's it's a rough time, but um, I'm hoping that we can help, we help pass the time. If nothing else, maybe you learned a thing or two in this podcast, so we have to thank you thank you and, and um, be safe out there is what I'll say
1: yeah take care everybody
0: yep uh, thank you very much and we'll mm-hmm. talk to you soon
1: follow the light
0: we'll take you away from your darkest night I know I swear I've